you know, it's so important to understand that the work, that the work of the kingdom is never a solo, it's never a solo mission. See, the church is not a gathering of individuals working independently of each other, seeking their own agenda, seeking to do their own thing. That's, that's not the church. You know, the church is a collective body of believers seeking to fulfill one mission. It's true that there may be differing gifts and roles and responsibilities, but they all ladder up to the same goal, the proclamation of the gospel, the, the spread of the, the kingdom, and the building up of the saints. Jesus, if you remember in Matthew 28, when he was speaking to his disciples, he tells them that they are to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that he had commanded. This small ragtag group of disciples, followers of Jesus, received this daunting and what probably seemed like an impossible task. Go into every nation, teaching them, and teaching them all that you commanded, Lord? You have taught some very difficult things, Lord, everything that you have commanded. There is no doubt that these disciples would have, have seen this as quite difficult and overwhelming, but, but we see Jesus actually comforting them. He, he provides some comfort. First, he tells them that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. Therefore, they could, they could go out into the nations, preaching and teaching, baptizing these, uh, baptizing believers because his authority extended to them. The second comfort that he gives them is that he tells them that as they go, that he will be with them, even to the end of the age. And lastly, the last comfort that these disciples receive. And you know what? It's not explicitly stated in the text, but, but the context screams it. The command was not just given to one disciple. The, the command was given to disciples, plural. God had given them authority. God was going to be with them to the end of the age. For the Great Commission would not be accomplished by one individual, but God would call, he would raise up a myriad, a myriad, a plethora of individuals to accomplish his plan. Many, many God would raise up to accomplish this great task, this difficult task. In our text this morning, we see God doing just that. He's adding people to his mission. You know, I know we like to label these accounts that we have been preaching through in Acts as the, the missionary journeys of Paul. And, 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 and that's okay. Uh, he, is the pro, he is prominent in all these accounts. He, he seems to be the main character. But, but really, they aren't just Paul's missionary journeys. They are the church's missionary journeys. For Paul did not go alone. This was not some rogue mission that Paul was on. He was commissioned by the church in Antioch, you do remember. 
supported by the Macedonian church, prayed for by the church, and accompanied by the church on this mission. There were faithful men and women who labored alongside Paul for the sake of the gospel. And in our text, once again, once again, we are introduced to some laborers, some, some, some men and women who joined the mission. We are introduced to the tent-making couple that we were introduced to earlier in Acts chapter 18, Aquila and Priscilla. You remember, that was, this, these were the, this was a Jewish couple whom Paul met when he first arrived in Corinth and began working with them as, tent make, as a tent maker as a means to support the work of the ministry. Well, Paul now decides that the, that the journey, that the mission must now continue. And so he is deciding to leave, leave Corinth and head back to Syria, where his sending church is, Antioch, and also where Jerusalem is. This is where Paul is headed. And Luke tells us that Paul doesn't go along, alone. Priscilla and Aquila go along with him on the journey. They join the mission. And in Priscilla and Aquila, what we see is Christ-motivated laborers. Christ-motivated laborers. Now, 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 the Bible doesn't give us much information as to why Priscilla and Aquila decided to join Paul along, with, uh, along this journey. But, but I think... I, I think we are safe in making some speculations, making some reasonable assumptions. I think it's reasonable to think that Priscilla and Aquila joined Paul on this missionary journey because they believed that the gospel was true. They believed that the gospel was true. You know, it cannot be denied that you live what you believe. How you live tells on you every time. It tells on you. Priscilla and Aquila's actions showed that they believed the message that they would be proclaiming with Paul was true and worth uprooting their lives and crossing the sea to join this mission. Listen, you don't do that uproot your life and and cross the sea. You don't do that unless you believe that Jesus died, rose again from the grave, and salvation is found in him and in him alone. That is the only way that makes sense. I have a cousin who has a PhD in biochemical engineering. The the, the brain skipped this generation. I, I didn't get it. I didn't get those smarts, okay? Bio, a PhD, a doctor in biochemical engineering. She has decided, or she has been for two years now, in Kazakhstan, teaching. Why is she in Kazakhstan teaching this PhD in biochemical engineering? Because she wants to seize an opportunity in this predominantly Muslim country of sharing the gospel. She's meeting with women and, 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 and discipling women and, and having Bible studies for the sake of the gospel. She is not wasting her life. 
I think of Meredith, who has been in China for a year teaching. Why is she there? Because she is passionate about sharing the gospel, using the gifts and the abilities that God has given to her to, as, as a means to share the gospel. I think of Abby, who has a desire to go on to the mission field, to, to cross the sea because she sees that, the, that, that there is a need for people to hear this, this message, this message of Jesus Christ dead, buried, and rose again from the grave, and there's only salvation in him. You, you look at these women. You, you look at Priscilla and Aquila, and you say, they're crazy. They're crazy. What are they thinking? Single women don't cross the sea by themselves and and go? Why? Crazy. You know, if you truly believe the message of the gospel, you wouldn't say that. You would not say that. Now, you might not be willing to go yourself, (laughs) and, and you might still think they were crazy, but you would understand. You, you would understand, you would support. You, you would pray for them. You would know that them giving their lives away for the sake of the gospel is not them losing it, it's actually them gaining. Amen. Luke 9, 24 says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That is why the world thinks it's crazy, because they are ignorant to the ways of the kingdom. Perhaps you're a skeptic here. Perhaps you're a skeptic and you, and, and you say, well, the people who flew the, the planes into the, into the World Trade Center, they had a belief too. They had a deep belief. They gave their lives away. What about them? Let me read Luke 9, 24 again. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, for my sake, will save it. Brothers and sisters, this is why the object of our faith, the object of your belief matters. Jesus says those who give their lives away for his sake will save it. This, simply, this isn't simply about belief. This, this isn't blind faith. It's about belief in Christ. He is the issue. Don't think. Don't think that any, any belief will do. If your belief, if your belief, if your trust this morning is not in Christ, it will fail. It's got to be in Christ. Priscilla and Aquila believed that Christ was the Messiah. And they, they were willing to give their lives away, uproot their, their lives, and join Paul on this mission. One other speculation that we can make for why they joined the journey is because they wanted to use their gifts for the kingdom. 
They wanted to use their gifts for the kingdom. Do you understand that Priscilla and Aquila were no doubt a gifted couple? They were gifted. They were schooled in business, well-traveled. They, were in, they weren't originally from Corinth. They, they knew how to work with their hands. Remember, tent makers. But they also had a great knowledge of the scriptures. And, and we will see this later when they meet Apollos. They were excellent teachers. This was a gifted couple, and they chose not to waste the gifts they were given. Paul in Romans 12, beginning in verse 6, says this. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching and the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You know, the key phrase in that portion of Scripture is, let us use them. The gifts that God has given you are to be used for the kingdom. They are to be used for building up the church. They're not to be hidden, used for personal gain only. They're not to be neglected. No, they are gifts to be stewarded and used for the kingdom of God. Now, many of us use our gifts on a daily basis with our jobs. Some of us are gifted teachers, and some of you are gifted teachers, and you, and you use that gift to teach children, and that's, that's great. Some of you are gifted with numbers and, and accounting and, and such, and you, you use those gifts to make a living and to help support your family. That is important. But I want to challenge you to think about whether or not you are using that God-given gift for his agenda. For his agenda. For some of you, for some of you, that may not mean quitting your job and going into full-time ministry to use your gift. That's, that's, not what it, that's not what I'm saying. It may not mean that. But it may mean that you need to think about giving more time or seeking opportunities where you can use the gift God has given you to advance his kingdom, to build up his church. You may, you may just need to evaluate and to think about how you are using your gift. Are you simply using it just for your own personal gain or, or just on your jobs? Are you using that gift at all in the service of the kingdom? But for some of you, it actually may mean following the lead of Priscilla and Aquila and giving your life and gifts in full-time service to the kingdom. Again, again I, 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 this is not a call for everyone to do this. But there are, there are some of you that have gifts. There are some of you that have gifts that can actually be used in the kingdom. They will, they will benefit the kingdom. Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So, Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. You know, we're praying for that. 
We are praying for that. I pray that you're praying for that. I hope that you're praying for that. Praying that God would indeed raise up workers from right here in our congregation, right here in our midst, who would be willing to use their gifts in full-time service to the kingdom. Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila were Christ-motivated laborers. But what we also see we also see in this text is that they and Apollos had a Christ-centered mentality. Luke moves rather quickly through this section of Paul's second missionary journey. That's where, where he's on. He's, it's his second missionary journey is coming to an end. And, and he kind of moves through quickly and doesn't provide much detail, but he does tell us that on their way, that now Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, on their way to uh, Syria, um, they do stop off in Ephesus, which as a side note, shows that we need to trust God's timing. What do I mean by that? Well, if you were here with us and paying attention when we walked through Acts chapter 16, you will remember that Paul wanted to go to Asia. You remember that? Paul wanted to go to Asia to preach the gospel, but he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit would not allow him to go to Asia, and so he ended up preaching the gospel in Macedonia. But now, now he is free to go to Asia. That's where Ephesus is. Why is Paul allowed to go there now and he wasn't allowed to go before? Perhaps God wanted Priscilla and Aquila to be part of the work there. If Paul was allowed to travel to Asia earlier, he would not have met them. Apollos may not have been there at the time. I mean, we could speculate all day long, but the fact of the matter is that when Paul entered Asia, it was at the time he was supposed to enter Asia. Brothers and sisters, don't get bent out of shape when God says no. Don't get bent out of shape when God says no. Understanding God's providence means you understand that his ways are better than your ways. He is full of wisdom, full of understanding. Do you understand? Do you know he sees the beginning from the end? Whatever my God ordains is right. It's not only right, it is good. It is good. That's just an aside. At the layover in Ephesus, Paul, now Paul and and Aquila and Priscilla are in In Ephesus, at this layover, Paul does some preaching in the synagogues, and and he makes an impression. He makes an impression on those people in the synagogue, so much so that they want him to stay. But but Paul says, no, I must go. I must go to Syria. And he leaves and promises to return back to Ephesus. And And he does. But he leaves Priscilla and Aquila there to continue the work. And you know what? God uses this gifted couple. He uses them to encourage 
a zealous preacher who will continue the work Paul started in Corinth and make a significant impact on the kingdom. Uh, you know, this, this encounter between Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos is so instructive for us. And it reiterates the point that it is not about individuals in the kingdom. It's about the mission. It is about the mission. That's the goal. It's about the proclamation of the Gospels. Brothers and sisters, if either of these individuals had self ahead of Christ, this encounter doesn't end well. You need to think about that as we walk through this account. Luke tells us that a man from Alexandria named Apollos passed through Ephesus. He had apparently heard and believed the gospel because when Priscilla and Aquila find him in the synagogue, he is boldly proclaiming the scriptures. He's, he is preaching the scriptures. Apollos is no doubt gifted. He is a gifted man. For, for look at the language that Luke uses to describe him, beginning in verse 25. According to Luke, he was an eloquent man good with words, able to communicate effectively. But he wasn't just eloquent. He was competent in the scriptures. He knew what he was talking about. It was evident that he had been trained, he had been discipled. But not only was he eloquent and knowledgeable, he was passionate. He was passionate. He, he communicated the, the word of God with, with vigor and, and with excitement. Apollos was, was highly gifted, highly trained. And do you know that all of that would have been for naught? For naught if he did not possess this last characteristic that Luke alludes to. Apollos was teachable. Apollos was teachable. I'm convinced that this was Apollos' greatest asset. You see, although he was knowledgeable about the scriptures, although he was passionate and taught boldly, he was teaching an error. Luke says that he had only known the baptism of John. You remember John the Baptist, uh, if you remember, he, he was the, the one who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. His, his baptism was a baptism of repentance. Apollos, it seems, knew very little, knew very little about the resurrection and perhaps knew nothing of the ascension of Christ, the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost. It appears as though, and, and, and we can't be sure, the text doesn't tell us this, but it appears as though his teaching stopped with John the Baptist. Whatever the case, what we do know is that what he was preaching and teaching was incomplete. It was incomplete. And an incomplete gospel is no gospel at all. Priscilla and Aquila recognize this, and they decide to take him aside to explain to him the way of God more accurately. Here's the amazing thing. Apollos listens this couple that he has just met wants to correct him, and, and he listens. He doesn't big-time them and say, do you know who I am? 
Do, do you see all these people coming? How, how they're responding to this word that I am preaching and proclaiming? Do you understand who I am? You want to correct me? He doesn't get defensive. He's not offended. No, he listens joyfully because he understood what Proverbs says in, in Proverbs chapter 15, verses 31 and 32. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Gains intelligence. Brothers and sisters, nothing, nothing says humility like being teachable. It screams, it screams that it is not about you. comes to the word of God, when it comes to the truths of the gospel, you ought better be teachable. For you don't know it all. You don't know it all. We all have blind spots in our thinking and in our experiences and in our traditions. And we need to be willing to be teachable and submit those things to the word of God and to those whom God brings alongside us to instruct us. The Bible trumps your misguided and, dare I say, foolish ideas about God and his gospel. The Bible trumps those things. No matter how passionate you are or right you think you are. Pastor Tony taught me this. And I'm sure he learned it from somebody else because <laughs> we all learn stuff from other folks. <laughs> if you have never changed your mind about something, you are not as teachable as you think you are. If you have never changed your mind about something, you are probably not as teachable as you think you are. Apollos demonstrated that he was teachable. Teachable. But not only is Apollos to be commended here for this encounter, he was teachable, but we need to look at Priscilla and Aquila. They need to be commended as well. Did, did you notice how they corrected and spoke to Apollos? Again, this is, this, is, this is very instructive for us. Notice, notice two characteristics that they display. First, they are courageous. They are courageous. How many times, how many times have you seen something that was sinful or encountered someone who needed to be corrected and you didn't say anything because you were fearful? You were scared. You feared you might lose a friend scared of the conflict it would create, so you sweep it under the rug or you gossip about it. You understand that gossiping about it is easy. It takes courage to confront those who need to be corrected. These are hard conversations. These are... These are hard conversations. These are, these are difficult circumstances. But to confront people with their sin, to, to seek to correct those in error, is to see the gospel as bigger than you. 
It's about the mission. You remember, it's about the missions. Your feelings are not the issue. Your relationship with the person doesn't take precedence over the truth or the integrity of the gospel. The risk, do you understand, is worth it. The risk of losing a relationship, the risk of conflict is worth it if it means that the gospel is correctly proclaimed. Paul says in Galatians 1, 9 through 10, as we have said it before, and, and so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. We, we don't seek to please man by not addressing error. We are servants of Christ. So we address it. We are courageous and we address it. They showed great, great, great courage in addressing Apollos. But this second, this second characteristic of this encounter is so important. They were gracious to Apollos. Now, I just told you to be courageous. And so before you get all courageous and start confronting people about the error that you see in their lives, you need to look at how Priscilla and Aquila address Apollos. This is important. Luke tells us in verse 26 that they took Apollos to the side. Scholars believe that they invited him into their home to instruct him. How loving. How loving and how gracious of them. There was no need to call them out in front of the entire synagogue. They didn't need to show others how much they knew by putting him on blast. Listen, they weren't, listen, they weren't concerned with just being right, they were concerned that this gifted preacher would, co- be, would continue preaching, but do so more accurately. So they encouraged him graciously, graciously, so as to not quench the fire of this passionate young preacher. They followed our father's example in this. Isaiah 42.3, a bruised reed, he will not break, and a Faintly burning wick he will not quench. Brothers and sisters, correct graciously. Correct graciously. Think about how your your words, when you need to correct somebody, think about how they might encourage them, how they might spur them on, not how they might tear down or quench. You see, for Priscilla and Aquila's encouragement, encouragement to Apollos, it did spur him on. And it was for the benefit of the church. Apollos soon expresses some interest to cross the sea into Corinth to encourage the saints there. The the brothers and sisters in Ephesus agreed. And so they wrote a letter encouraging this endorsement, urging the church there to welcome, to welcome Apollos. 
And look at what it, what's, what it says happens in verse 27. And when he wished, speaking of Apollos, to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that, Christ, that the Christ was Jesus. How wonderful is that? You read that and you, you, you recognize that, that that stemmed from the encouragement of Apollos, uh, I mean of Aquila and Priscilla. If they had quenched that fire, Apollos doesn't go to Corinth and encourage the brothers and sisters there. The mission of God continuing on because these laborers, these laborers understood that it was not about them. They were simply concerned. Here is what they were concerned with, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Paul would later reiterate this message to the church in Corinth and state this in 1 Corinthians 3, 5-9. What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Do you see your role in the kingdom of God like that? It's, it's about the mission. It's, it's about pointing people to Jesus Christ. Do you know in our sin nature, our sin nature, we, we want to be the man. We, we want to be the one that makes all the decisions. We want the mission to be about us. But, but sin is deceptive, and, and that's not really great, do you understand? Being the man is wrought with responsibility. It's wrought with accountability. When things go wrong, you get blamed. You understand that Jesus is the man so that you don't have to be. Jesus is the man so that you don't have to be. That's why we desire here always to point people to Jesus. Who then is Pastor Tony? Who then is Philip? Who then is BJ? Who then is Stephen? Who then is who? We all water. God. God gives the increase. So, we'll point people to him. We'll point people to Christ. Because we are motivated by Christ. And we have a Christ-centered mentality. And we point everybody to him.